Florida. My friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. I'm Kevin Williams. That's Robert Harrison. Hello. That's Ronnie James, D.O.G. He pre-fluffed his bed tonight. Hit it. No, you didn't see he was over there just oh. before, and he fluffed it up, but then he went upstairs to, I guess, take a break. And, and then, now he's leaving. And now he's leaving. <laughs> but he knew the beginning of the podcast. He came downstairs, got in his bed. He's just, he's that well-trained. All right. Well, what's going on with you? You got some old stuff in front of you, I see. Well, you notice our studio. Our studio has been, its decor now is all in obscuria. It's very yeah, nice. Yeah, it's taken over the whole lounge area. So we record in the downstairs lounge. There's an upstairs lounge, and this is the downstairs lounge, and the decor. Studio- B. Studio B. So the yeah. decor prior to us taking you over to the studio was your friend's cool parents' basement. So, you know, you hang from out. From the 70s. From the 70s. And that's the furniture and the decor. So now we've stepped it up. We've got some inobscure stuff. But the lounge area is here because, and my microphone, if you noticed, it was disheveled. I did notice that. Yes. We had a photo shoot this, this weekend. Oh. Yeah. One of those photo shoots? Yeah, come on. Oh. Some hotties. This was a paid event? No. Um, I don't charge. You don't for, charge for those. For those, uh, no. That's that's smart. A gratis for free. That's smart. Yeah. So when hot models want to come to my house and take pictures, scantily clad or whatever clad they feel like, feel comfortable. In. <laughs> any clad, any for a clad. Model. I don't care. So they, I was like, hey, um, you know that we've got this room downstairs that if you want to come do some shoots down there. So they did a few shots on the lounge pad over there, mm. kind of the flop area. It's got oh, you know, yeah. pillows and things. The lounge. And then I was like, oh, hey, why don't you uh, put on the headphones and get some pictures in front of our banner? And so we're going to have some excellent oh. marketing material. Oh, you're a genius. Yes. I made sure it was like PG-13 because I knew it would probably end up on Facebook at some point. Mm-hmm. So the R-rated stuff, we'll just keep that for in-studio guests. But Were they amazed by my oh, yeah. fabulous artwork that we have hanging on the wall like, now? They're like, God, you guys are nerds. You are such a geek. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe in a good nerds in a good way. Cool nerds. <laughs> cool nerds. So I had to clean up, and so in the process of cleaning up the studio, because I knew they were coming, I was back in the storage area and found... Yeah, what is that thing? We've talked about both of these before on the okay. podcast. I have no idea when. So I found my Mexican Pink Floyd You've talked cassette. about that, yep. And That's it's momentary, like, right? Yeah, un aprendo a volar, like learning to fly. <laughs> and so all the titles are in Spanish. It's awesome. We'll take a shot of that. We'll, we'll post that. I have no cassette recorder that I can think of. Do you have a cassette recorder? Oh, I mean, a, yeah, a tape player? player. Do you have a tape player? Yeah, of course. I need to borrow it. Okay. I'll see if it still works. Right. I've got, I have a jam box I can bring over. Please do, because I found like four other blank cassettes. Mm-hmm. And every time I find these blank cassettes, it's who knows what's on there. Nice. Uh, it could be me playing guitar. Who knows? But the other thing is, I think we've talked about this also. It's a piece of the Berlin Wall in the box that Roger ah. Waters personally mailed me in yes, 1990. I, I bet he did. Because I put an envelope in the, This is way before you could PayPal somebody. I'm pretty sure I put an envelope with whatever $10 in the mail because I don't think I had a maybe I had a credit card by then I don't know <laughs> if I had a credit card so, it was already maxed out with pizza and beer we may have to we may have to take a step back before you go further yeah. because the kids out there may not remember 
that there was the, a, one that there was a wall yeah, in Germany. It wasn't just a fence. Yeah, it was this big wall. German, German. I mean, you might have Google. Hopefully, the Germans who listen to the show remember. But yeah, at one yeah. point in time, that would probably they would probably still kind of had some ideas yeah. of what it used to be. At one point in time, there was a big wall yeah. in Berlin, and you didn't just walk around it or anything like that yeah, back you then. Just go in between it. They would kind of you know, they'd shoot, shoot you in the back. Uh, so at some point in 1989, 89, I think is when that came. The Berlin down. Wall came down, and in 19, and Roger Waters had promised if it ever comes down, he was going to do the Wall, Pink Floyd's at the, the wall. wall, because he was no longer in Pink Floyd at that point. That's true. It was, even though it was Roger Waters, it was, Roger most, it Waters. was Pink Floyd's The Wall. So he did, and it was a star-studded event. All kinds of celebrities came in. The Scorpions! Yes, and as part of the package, you could send them money, and they sent you a T-shirt. And I I don't know if I still got the T-shirt or not, but you get a booklet, and you got this box. And it says, The Wall, and it has inside of it a chunk of concrete that supposedly is from the Berlin Wall. <laughs> How you can verify that? It's from whatever warehouse. Whatever. They they're chipping from. the floor or something. But still... After all these years, and the, ch- the chunk is in there. Let's, chunk? Oh, let's yeah. see it. Let's Sorry. see it. Yeah, it's in. Oh, here, listen. Wow, it's actual. You are actually concrete. hearing a piece that's of a, the Berlin Wall. That's good concrete. That's German concrete. That is German. They know concrete. how to make a wall. Now, is that East German concrete or West German concrete? True. They probably cut some corners because East Germany. Made is there this. blood on it? Oh, yeah. that's that's bad. No, lick it. Yeah. No, no, this is clean. This is from inside the okay. wall. Okay. Not right. outside the wall where they would wow. shoot people. That's actually really cool. It's wrapped in tissue. I'm, I'm glad that you kept it in such good shape. <laughs> <laughs> the box, the glue on the box, I think, has come apart. So it's more just we a piece of You just chuck that thing yeah. in some box no, It makes a box still. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we can post a picture of that and the cassette and all the stuff. So it was a, one wow. of those days I was supposed to be cleaning but I ended up finding this stuff and got completely sidetracked. So I saw. Now, how does this how does this tie into the photo shoot? You were cleaning up for. I the was photo cleaning shoot? up for the photo shoot and throwing things into my storage area. I see. And then the storage area was overflowing, where I could no longer walk into the storage area. So I started cleaning the storage area, and that's why how this became. So all of that was connected to a, a story that has nothing to do with our podcast. But I thought it was well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't. No. Next week. Not at all. Oh, man, anything else going on? Oh, you know what? We're going to go to the Rock and Pod Expo. We'll just bring this up real quick. March 17th, 19th in Nashville at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Go ahead and book your hotel if you want to hang out with us. We're going to be at the Holiday Inn. Room 26. (laughs) It's the Nashville Vanderbilt. That sounds very classy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where? It's beside, I guess it's beside Vanderbilt University. Hmm. Or the, is it the University of Vanderbilt or Vanderbilt University? I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't afford even Those are the smart people. Yeah, Those are smart I, kids. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't get in the school. I couldn't afford the school. I can't even afford the parking out front yeah. of the school. So, so that's I'm where out. we're staying. And then the Nashville Fairgrounds, I'm assuming, is somewhere close by. That's where we're going to be March 17th through the 19th. I guess we'll actually be there the 18th, yeah. to be honest. I don't know why I'm saying 17th through the 19th, because I think it's just a one-day event. But that's how they have it listed it's, on their website. It's St. Patrick's Day weekend. It so is. That it is. There will be fun and frivolity. There will be lots of green. Everything in Obscuria will be green. Have some leprechauns. Garth, I'm the leprechaun. Cool it, okay. I'm the leprechaun. Stop it, all right. Don't try and steal me, Patico. All right. Well, after you see a leprechaun. Stop it, leprechaun, man. Garth, chill, chill, chill. Who's the monsters to you, sweetie? I'm not. Sweetie. Stop it. Sweetie. Sweetie. Come on, sweetie. Come on. Pixie dust. Pixie dust. Sweetie, it's me. It's me. The leprechaun.
right over there. Look, he's right over there. Oh, he's gone. Oh, well. Go listen to Pot of Thunder, Cobas and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slamfest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, Sean Geek and Fast Fret Podcast, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, The Ron Keel Podcast, Potter Than Hell, Podkiss, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and don't forget about Monty, Monty's Rockcast. Come listen to us at inobscuria.com. And oh my God, I updated one of the photos on inobscuria.com. You got to go I check that, that out. It's, it's crazy. Fantastic. You know what I did? It's a collage. I took the top 10 episodes. That's what it was. Those I was trying the, to figure out the significance uh-huh. of those episodes. Yep. So those are the top 10 episodes, but you'll notice there's 12 episodes on that because I didn't have the room to make it 10 so i made it 12 <laughs> it's the top 10 12 <laughs> oh like 10 us. out of 12 is not yeah. bad like us share us recommend us facebook twitter instagram business is done good i, I noticed so. your i noticed your shirt you like this the band's so nice they named it twice we're about to talk about this so did you happen this is duran squared yeah as is our friend craig elvin would say did you happen to watch <laughs> we'll see how lame you are like me did you happen to watch dick clark's rocking new year's eve on the u.s network television a couple weeks ago no he's yeah. been dead for several years why well, would you that'd be gross okay so i'm a loser they just prop him up on the side of the road you were probably at a party or something right you were having fun on new year's eve well the party was here i, right. I don't usually leave the house on new years anymore because of all the amateurs so we just <laughs> get completely hammered here and okay so you were, i knew it i knew you were not a pathetic loser like me yeah i was actually in bed considering going to sleep before the whole shebang and then i realized oh, the fireworks would just wake me up so we watched the dick clark's rocking new year's eve now a couple questions you asked the first one. Yeah. Why did they still call it Dick Clark's New Year's Eve? He died 11 years ago. I figured it was a few, but 11. 11 wow. years ago, the man died. Why did they still call it that? They have another guy that does it. It's Ryan, Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> He's an Alabama native, isn't he? I mean, Atlanta native, not Alabama. Atlanta native. But Ryan Seacrest is so lame, I guess, to the oh, network. That they, can, they still call it Dick Clark's. I guarantee you, people who are young adults now have no clue who what Dick Clark is. What would you Clark put is. that in? Anybody under 35? Yeah, at least 40, maybe. 40. Wouldn't, does, maybe know who he is, but have no idea what, what anybody kind under, of an icon he was back then. Yeah, anybody under 40, if they remember him at all, they will remember him when he had his stroke and he could, you know, he had trouble talking oh, the last couple of years. Oh, and, I'm not going to make fun of that. No, but, it's just, that's what they're going to remember if they know yeah, who he is at all. Yeah. Not that he was this hip dude in the, you know, 60s and 70s doing all of Dick Clark stuff. But, him with uh, Pink Floyd, with Sid Barrett. Yeah. on American Bandstand. That's yeah. kind of peak for if me. If you don't know, he was the Bandstand guy. Yeah. yeah, he used to and you know who wrote, everyone. who wrote the jingle for American Bandstand? Who's that? Barry Manilow. Oh, yes, I did know that. Hmm. Bandstand. They're yeah, going rocking. Glad, glad they don't play that. Wow, anymore. that just came out. I've not heard that in 25 years. But You want to sing the rest? I'll give you the mic. Go ahead. <laughs> going hopping. We're going hopping today. We think some popping. Philadelphia way. We're going to drop in. On all the music they play on the Bandstand. Sorry. When you heard it, it was Saturday morning, and it was right after cartoons. After the usually. cartoons, that's when the big kids would get up, and yeah, that's what they would watch. Your older brother or sister would wake up, <laughs> like, "Get out of the way! I'm watching Bandstand. <laughs> I got to see the dancing. Got to see the dance." Oh, and then right after that, Soul, Soul Train. Train. Oh my Soul God, Soul Train. Now, they a, had a better intro. Oh God, yeah.
Jesus. So every time the train goes by, they, they, we have a, a coal train that comes by once a week to deliver coal. Every time it comes by, I'll say that. And people like Chelsea, ah, yeah, our younger friends, just look no at clue. me. No, they don't. No have, they clue. have no idea. When wow, I say that. they miss Soul Train. Like, Soul Train was on for a long time too. Bandstand and Soul yeah. Train were on for a long But in 1975, time. when you're a five-year-old white kid in the white suburbs in the whitest part of Florida, oh yeah, you would watch that and go, "What the hell is that?" And now, it's where's like, this oh, world? Hell yeah! When I watch it now, I was like, "Damn, that's awesome!" <laughs> I used to watch it. Really? Hell yeah, I would watch it, and I was just like. This is a whole different world I know nothing about yes. <laughs> as a kid. Oh, okay. So that was my first question. Okay. I, I don't know why. And then the other question is, who was picking the performers on this thing? So if you went to the other networks, mm-hmm. I know you were having a party, so you didn't yeah. do this. But if you go to the other networks, they were all trying to showcase mostly younger pop acts. That makes a lot of sense. Rap, even country, you know, but they're younger acts. It's not not legacy stuff. Why would you do that? You're you're like trying to, you know, give the, the tweens and the teens who can't go to New Year's parties that... Mm-hmm. I, that's what I thought those shows were for, you know, for families or for... Well, it's such a split audience. Think about the two ends of the spectrum that are watching that. Well, there could be really old people like me, true. Yeah, staying at home because you don't want to go out. You've done that. And then the younger people that can't go out. Yeah. So they're watching, their parents Maybe. have it on. So you've got the upper and the bottom end of that spectrum, which usually don't get along musically. So what does... It's the same thing for the Super Bowl. Yeah, you, true. You're trying to please true. this wide range of people. True. Well, maybe that's answering my question, but I just thought it was odd that over on Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, it was not a bunch of younger pop acts. They had a few, but no, the headliners for the 2023 Ring in the New Year, New Edition. What? Yeah, New Edition and... Is that Bobby Brown? It, I don't think Bobby Brown was there, though. Okay. I didn't rec. If he was, I didn't. I didn't recognize any of them. Okay. I mean, they look like old men. Well, now. they're the new, they're, new edition, newer. Yeah, they're the old new edition, old new or newer new. Anyway, but the other <laughs> band, is, the other band was Duran Duran. That is so wild. Guess what I was listening to during dinner tonight? Little Duran Duran. Arena. Is anybody hungry? By Duran oh, Duran. Nice. We've talked about that, and I had the cassette, and that's. The band and the actual cassette I was listening to right before I crossed over into the world of rock, which was the very next cassette was The Wall. Mm-hmm. And they seem diametrically opposed, but when you listen to Arena, some of the live tracks, they're less, a little less poppy, more rocking because it's live. And some of the stuff, it just it was a natural flow for me to go from that to somebody handing me The Wall and listening to that and how it was orchestral and a lot of extra sound effects and things like that. That's when I got really hooked into Pink Floyd and then everything else is history. So yeah, that, I I looked it up tonight. It's one of those things I'm like, huh, I have the world at my fingertips. I don't have that cassette, but I have Spotify. So I pulled it up and listened to that during dinner. You no longer need a pencil to wind that thing up. No, no, but the chauffeur, the live version of the chauffeur, still one of my favorite songs out there. I love it. Well, that's leading kind of into where we're going tonight. So it got me thinking as I'm watching Simon Laban with... He has a bit of a belly now. Oh. And uh, he was wearing tight pants and he has a bit of a belly. Oh. So it was a weird look. Kind of the Ingve look. Yeah, kind of the Ingve <laughs> look. 
Exactly. And he's up there singing Wild Boys, you know. And I'm like, yeah, wild, that doesn't sound right anymore for yeah. you to be singing Wild Boys. But it got me thinking, what is the perception of his era of those types of groups, those 80s new wave groups mm-hmm. that the entire U.S. audience who are watching this thing, they're watching. I'm just thinking for, not for the old folks, but for these younger people, what is their perception? And maybe even the older people, because history gets rewritten mm-hmm. when you have a, a pop group who's really has some really really big hits so think about it if duran duran must if you listen to their greatest hits album they probably have i don't know at least in the u.s at least seven eight major hits right and then maybe some that were more successful overseas you know in their that was spanning from the early UK, 80s the into UK, the whatever. 90s exactly yeah and they yeah they, a, they, they, spanned good a good, they had a really good run there's st- i think the reason they were on is because they're still releasing and you know still going on tour mm-hmm. but i feel like over time, history gets a little bit rewritten, and they're only measured and remembered by those hits and by the image of them at the peak when they had those hits. Mm-hmm. And as I started thinking about a lot of these new wave groups, a lot of folks forget or simply don't know that most of them started very differently. Mm-hmm. They didn't come from this poppy, syrupy thing that they kind of became as they became more commercially viable. No, they were punks. And so today is episode 161. Digging up some punks, 80s new wave, their punk beginnings. Awesome. What we're going to do is I'm going to go through several groups connected to major new wave pop artists. So new wave, if you don't know, in the 80s, there's two ways of looking at it. New wave could be kind of the pre-alternative it was the punk that was kind of a little bit more commercially accepted mm-hmm. than just pure punk. Punk was meant to be in your face and snotty and loud and aggressive. And the new wave was kind of a way of saying, it's a little bit poppy. It's acceptable. It's also associated in America as the second British invasion because most of the groups came over from the UK. So the US audience got all of this stuff, this Duran Duran, you name it. We'll talk about lots of these groups, but it was all being delivered to us via this new thing called MTV. In the 80s. America! Demand your MTV! I want my MTV! I want my MTV! I want my MTV! MTV! Music television! Video music! 24 hours a day! And it's stereo! And so we get all these amazing videos and all this amazing new music, which was really just pop music. A lot of keyboards were being introduced. That was a new thing. Electronic drums. A lot of... A lot of new sounds that we had never heard before. So it was all very new. But a lot of those bands, that's not where they started. They started going down a much more aggressive and darker path before making their turn towards pop. So you, you could almost say these new wave pop bands, goth, dance, and even alternative as it became in the 90s, a lot of that was influenced by punk Mm -hmm. and punk rock. We've done digging up some punks in another episode a long time ago, and we've covered the first wave, which was really the mid-70s when punk really started going. So we're going to move forward a little bit towards the 80s. We're going to show you how a lot of these new wave groups didn't always sound like those pop bands that you remember. They probably didn't always dress like those crazy 80s duds that they wore in those Mm -hmm. videos. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the band, and then we're going to play it. And I'm going to see if you can guess who this could be. I like these. They're not all going to be the actual band. 
some of these groups, there was a band prior to the band, you know. Mm. And they would make a change, and then they all of a sudden, make, they, they would make pop. something change. Yeah, and then that would be what got them commercially viable. We just talked about that with the hair band episode, how a lot of them uh, exactly. were hanging out, and you, the members would, like, you change one guitarist or just change the name, and all of a sudden, they would pop. Now, I think we've said it before in other episodes, but I, because of our age, this was kind of our era of kind of coming up and getting into music. I certainly was into New Wave and, and the popular side, mm-hmm. Top 40. Radio prior to me getting into rock and punk and metal, mm. and I believe you're the same. That's what you're yeah, saying. but you went from what we just described into a little harder stuff. Mm. It took me years to kind of gravitate to. Yeah, you kind of went more classic rock. Right? Yeah, I well, I took a left turn instead of going into the new stuff. Right, I went back and discovered all the old stuff, with, which was at that time ten years old. Which blows my mind. That <laughs> and, by the time I yeah. heard Pink Floyd the first time, the Wall was only seven years old. Right, eight, but it eight felt, years old. It felt a lot older. Oh yeah, it? yeah, because uh, uh, just going through all the this poppy Duran Duran, for instance, then going yep. back and hearing Led zeppelin it sounded like it was 30 years old but it was only 10 years old at the time well, even me so i'm i'm into like whatever's current on the radio like i'm really big into the police duran mm-hmm. duran i love tears for fears i love that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i got into skateboarding which i've mentioned i started hearing this punk music and i thought it was really cool and that was hardcore punk so it was the most aggressive stuff you could get most of it coming out of southern california and so i was kind of digging into that and i even thought that was old because by the time i'm getting into it it's 1985 86 mm-hmm. most of that stuff was recorded in like 82 oh, 83 God. 84 <laughs> So Jeez. to me, that was already old. It was moldy. It was so old. <laughs> so had a stank. Your perspective when you're a kid of what's old is well, just so different. When you've only different. been alive for 13 years, that's this is true. It was half your life old. Exactly. <laughs> so funny. All right. So let's dive into this. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I don't. I think some of these you're going to get. Okay. I think you're going to hear, especially the ones where the singer didn't change that much. Yeah. Some of the others might not be as easy. So first up is a band that was an early new wave band. So I'm not playing a what I would consider a punk band but this is like a darker new wave band this is before they figured out what it was really mm-hmm. kind of experimental it happens to feature four members that would go on to be in two different really famous bands okay okay and both of those bands those famous bands they both had multiple hits and we'll talk about who they are so I'm going to play the song okay. and then you see if you can get anything out of the instrumentation or the vocals of who might be involved in this group okay Thank you. 
okay, I'm either going to look really good or look really bad. It's just, there's no in between on this one. Okay. My guess. Danzig. Danzig. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, remember, we're saying that these are bands that become new wave bands. I'm saying Glenn Danzig, the, yeah. the, the, not yeah. the band. I don't remember him being a big new wave artist. I know, but that voice, you had to, it was like <laughs> a little bit off key. Oh, so there's there's two groups that came out. Do you so, have okay. another answer? No, my, so Bauhaus. Bauhaus, okay. Yeah. yeah, it definitely had a goth kind of feel yeah. to it. And I'm thinking of a band that devolved into two other bands. True, true. So was it New yeah. Order? Not Cam- represented on this, okay. this episode, but yeah, you're you're right. So same type of band where they same would go on thing. to form two other bands from the, yep. th- was it Joy Division when the singer died and Bauhaus begot New Order and Bauhaus, I don't know, I'm getting all mixed up now. Well, Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it was. And then New Order came out of Joy Division or something like that. Right. Okay. Right. Anyway, those those are my guesses, but I figured they were kind of mainstream for you. We'll see. Um, so this is a band called Neon. Never heard of them. Okay. They only lasted from 1979 to 1981. Mm-hmm. This was released. So they released singles, and then this was released in 1982 as an EP. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, package this up because these guys are going on to do other things. So just get it out the door. <laughs> Let's make some money. Let's make of fifty it. bucks. So I'm gonna play you a little snippet of the first band that oh, two of the okay. members were in here. Okay. That is Naked Naked Eyes. Eye. Oh, damn it, damn it, damn yes. it. Oh, I guessed wrong. <laughs> so, See, always Pete Byrne. 50-50 chance. Pete Byrne and Rob Fisher were in the band Neon. Neon. They would leave Neon to form Naked Eyes. Mm-hmm. Naked Eyes had, in the U.S., they had a couple of top 40 singles, that being one of them. Always something there to remind me. And then they had Promises, Promises, which was another oh, yeah. big one. They only had four albums, really only two during the the main time where they had the mm-hmm. singles and then they had some later years. In fact, they just put out one in 2021 when their fourth album came wow. out. That's a spread. Yeah. But they went on to do, you know, solo stuff mm-hmm. and production and things like that. Now, the other band has a much longer history and many more hits than Naked Eyes. So here is the other band that was represented in Neon. Show, show, I still love this song. That's a great song. That's right at, God, just the beginning of me being passionate about music. First cassette tape I ever got. I got it for Christmas. That's what I wanted. I want the Tears for Fears cassette. I got a boombox and a Tears for Fears cassette. That was the only one I had for like a year. That and uh Aha. Aha. Because the the majorette that we rode with to school, who was two years older than my friend and I, she loved both of those. And so I was like, yeah, I like them too. Of course. Yes. My favorites. I totally love those bands. (laughs) They're dreamy. <laughs> but I actually did after you know, associating, you know, driving to school with Deanna Robbins. I remember mm. her name. It's like six foot tall brunette. Yes. The reason you're 14 years old or well, 15. <laughs> very similar story. The whole reason that I like Tears for Fears is I go away to summer camp. I believe oh, I'm in the sixth grade camp. or going into the sixth grade. And it was one of those summer camps where we traveled to do a, like a backpacking trip. Mm-hmm. And it was must have been, I don't know, 10 kids, you know, in the 
that tween middle school age Mm. getting towards there Mm. and it spanned like sixth grade to eighth or ninth grade so the girls the older girls that were in there were becoming women they looked like women yeah (laughs) and uh you know i'm in a van traveling with them for a week hiking with them sharing tents and camaraderie Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when it rained really hard one night, we all had to sleep in the van. I didn't get a lot of sleep that night. <clears throat> just tell you that. No. Was the van a rocking? Uh, no, no. I was just excited. Oh. <laughs> <Shwing>. <laughs> but that happened to be the week or one of the weeks where that song, Shout, was oh, number one. It must have played, I don't know, as we were driving yeah. in this van with, you know, these youth group guys. So, so picture, it must have played every hour. That same time of maybe a year earlier than that, I'm in the almost exact same boat summer trip was like a church group Mm -hmm. but one of the wealthy members of the church let our youth group borrow his brand new custom van the kind with the swivel seats the kind with the TVs in them (laughs) plush carpet it was badass and so we get to take this from Fort Walton Beach oh yeah table table you put your drinks in yeah you can eat and drink like you're at home, yeah. but you're going 70 miles an hour. We had one. Yeah. My dad had oh, one. Oh, you actually had one. Oh, we, we that's what, that. We used to, we used to, my dad bought one yeah. just so he could go every weekend to Clemson. We would go to the football games in it that's and we badass. would tailgate in this thing and I would just sleep on the couch and <sighs> make it into a bed. Well, there's like eight junior high school, maybe nine junior high school, no seatbelts, just sitting on the floor. And we had a young lady who, like you had mentioned, mm-hmm. had grown up quicker than they, us. Yes, women, uh, the the young ladies, they, young ladies. they, they start to blossom, blossom long so before we she do. She was in the van. We went from <laughs> Fort Walton to Atlanta, which is a Ooh. six and a half, six hour drive to go to Six Flags. So on the way back, I had just finished off an orange soda, and we're hanging in the van, and I start to get car sick. Oh no! So. I'm getting sick, and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, dear God, dear Lord, please, no. Don't do no. this in front of all these people. And so I was like, I'm not feeling, I'm going to go sit in the front seat, which normally takes care of it, but I'd waited too long, so I'm sitting in the front seat, and before I can say, can you pull over, it just, oh, no. Boom. Uh, wait, I'm so excited, I, I think I'm going to hurl. Garth, get it together, man, don't hurl, because if you hurl and I catch a whiff of it, man, I'm going to spew. And if I blow chunks, chances are someone else is going to honk, all right? And that's going to set off a peristaltic chain reaction, all right? Harrison. I put my hand over my mouth, which never, ever works. It really doesn't do anything but shoot it. (laughs) Spewed onto the windshield and then down into the air vents behind it. So now picture that. And now eight or nine junior high school kids behind me. Including some hot girls. Oh, God, no. Harrison puked. Oh, God. (laughs) It was horrible. And so they had to like pull over and clean this nice man's van out. So yeah, this is my luck with a and this is why I'm still single to this day because every time I think, oh yeah, I'm gonna no, I do something like that. You are a player. Yes. <laughs> no, I'd impress the ladies. Well, so, back, anyway, to, back, back to, to tears. Back for to fears. tears for fears. So, so, if you don't know, tears for fears. Uh, most people think of them as just the two guys that were on the cover of this mm-hmm. album, but it was actually a band at one point. But Kurt Smith and mm-hmm. Roland Orzabal had joined Neon, the band we just played, primarily as session 
musicians. So a lot of that stabbing, cool guitar you were hearing, that mm-hmm. was Roland from Tears of Fears because he, he plays a really cool guitar. Kurt Smith was a bass player. So they liked the drummer and the other guitarist in Neon. And so they took them from Neon and the first Tears for Fears album, The Hurting, that came out featured all of those guys. Mm-hmm. So The Hurting, we know more of it now because of Mad World the being game. a hit much later. Yeah. But in the UK, it was huge in 1983. So Tears for Fears were bigger in the UK before they hit. You never the heard US. Mad World on radio. No. no. Their other hit, which I didn't hear till later on, was Sowing the Seeds of Love. It, well, that was after the major success. Yeah, that, that was had. later on. But yeah. I, uh, up until recently, didn't realize it was live. Recording. Sowing the Seeds of Love? Yeah, that, that what you hear, it's a, I'm pretty sure that's a live Maybe recording. Maybe some of it. It's, well, it's got so many tracks on it. Well, it may have tracks, but it it's kind of like of sound uh, Purple Rain. I didn't know that that was recorded live. That was, yeah. And then they dubbed in they the strings at the yeah, end Prince of put it. other things but on top. I swear, I, I saw somewhere oh. that was a live recording. That's cool. That's or maybe I've heard a live recording that sounded just like it. So anyway, they're amazing talent those guys have. Yeah, so 83, they're huge in the UK. I mean, they had only released this, like I said, this Neon album in 82. A year later, they released The Hurting, and they had Mad World, Change, Pell Shelter. Those are all great singles. And that first Tears for Fears album, The Hurting, is very, um, it's their most new wavy sounding. They kind of got more pop, more soulful as, mm-hmm. as they go on. But they hit huge in the US with their second album, Songs from the Big Chair. That's where we got Shout. Huge on the US Billboard 200, multi-platinum status in both the UK and the US. And Shout and Everybody Wants to Rule the World were both top five Is songs. Is that 1985? 1984. Four, okay. Oh, no, and you're right. No, you're right. 85. I was thinking 84, but yeah, you're right. It's 85. And then later they had, uh, like you said, Sowing the Seeds of Love. That was 89. They had you know, more hits on that album. And then they split in 1991, the two main guys, mm-hmm. Kurt Smith and Roland. And Roland went on in the 90s. I don't know if you remember, but they actually had a minor hit with an album called Elemental in 1993, but it was really just one mm-hmm. guy. It was just Roland. I'm trying to remember the name of the song. I think it was called Cold. Cold Gin? It was not Cold Gin. Cold something. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've listened to that. But anyway, my point being, they've released seven full-length albums, including one last year called The Tipping Point, which was a top 10 US, UK, and Australian album, by the way, last year for Tears of Fears. Damn. And just, you know, major success. Not sounding like what we just heard in Neon, right. where they started. I'm going to have to go back and look it up, but I heard a uh, song off of that on like SiriusXM, one of their channels. They're like, hey, this is a new thing from Tears for Fears. And I liked it, but it didn't get much play other than for a couple of weeks, and then it, that was it. It did really well. But still, I mean, the fact they're playing them and playing their new music at this point in time. I was at Target, the store, Target, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a Walmart for the folks that aren't US-based. And, you know, they have a, they have a vinyl section now mm-hmm. in Target, and Tears Fears, their new album, was one of the ones featured at a Target. I think it was charting or something like that. The reason they mentioned it, that it was doing really well in sales, but, you know, you don't hear it. Yeah. There's nowhere on yeah, the radio for it. It's not the same them. anymore where you get saturated with, you know, the same 20 songs. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, you do. You do. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So next up is a band that I personally fought listening to when I was in high school. You fought listening I to? Fought. No! I fought. D- d- Do not play that song. This is not a band that I wanted to admit that I liked uh, oh, because yeah. everybody was into this band and mm-hmm. I was like into punk and metal and I was not going to like their poppy music. It's that your up. guilty pleasure. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I really didn't listen to it. I on oh, you, purpose did not listen to it. This is like the Mariah Carey thing where you're trying to avoid hearing uh, whatever that Christmas song is that <laughs> she sings, which I have no idea. Ex- exactly. All it, I want for Christmas. Whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah, I avoid it. I avoided it. And then when I finally did hear it, I was like, oh, this is like pretty good. Hmm. 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 Maybe I'll rethink this. <laughs> it tastes all right. Well, this band was formed in 1978. And had I known in when I was in high school that their original music sounded like what we're about to hear, it might have changed my perspective. If you know, a they had bit. street cred. Yeah, exactly. So we're about to hear a single that was released in 1979 that is not even listed as part of their discography these days. History has been rewritten. Ooh, it's not even listed. Wow. That- so this is obscure for a. We're going to find out this is a big band. So it's under their same name. It is under their same name. And they just deleted it. It's just so early in their career that I don't know why they wrote it off, but they don't list it. I don't hear that happening a lot. It may. I just don't know that. So I'm going to play the song. You tell me who it is. All right.
Snotty, snotty, punk rock, not even caring about any sort no. of format. <laughs> 99% of the people out there, when you say punk rock, they think Sex Pistols. But this is punk rock, but it just doesn't sound like what you would think punk rock sounds like. But it's 100% punk oh, rock. Yeah. But it sounds like no Sid, Bar- Sid Barrett dropped in on a Hawkwind section session <laughs> with a fuzzy guitar. Not who it is. I know. Just, <laughs> I like you. You like I me. I dig you. I dig you. It's all right. <laughs> Had That's a good groove, though, I loved man. it. I loved it. Damn Whatever it. this band is, damn it, I, tomorrow I'm looking them up, and that's what I'm listening to in the shop tomorrow. So 1979, this comes out, is not listed on their discography. Uh-huh. Any idea who this no, might be? No, 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 because I know whatever the band is, it's going to sound completely different if they're denying it. All right, well, I'll give you a little snippet. All right, so damn it, I've been it's I've been cheated. <laughs> I've been cheated because just last week I told you I went through their whole discography uh-huh. and listened to every one of their. You listened albums, to all the Cure, didn't you? Starting from the beginning, uh-huh. and now I feel completely ripped off because <laughs> their first album was really punk rock sounding. It's still culty, or culty, still Cure sounding. Yeah, but it sounds horrible compared to that one. I would much <laughs> rather have started with that and then skipped the second one. Yeah, the Cure originally part of the post-punk new wave movement oh yeah they were totally punk in the beginning doesn't sound anything like the cure as we know today. right it wasn't until in in 1980 so a year after what we just heard yeah. with their second album that's when they started adopting kind of that darker very more tormented yeah, very polished vibe. and photos and video footage of him from the first album it's kind of like joy division where you see these guys in jeans and polo shirts right. like they're straight out of a frat yeah. party but then then he becomes the goth very guy. quickly yeah. Both of them changed, and especially Robert Smith, because yeah, well, I mean, didn't, he didn't the cure die. is Robert Smith <laughs> yeah. in, in a way. But the look, the look it, is him. It, it became that gothy, dark alternative look. So anyway, that's fascinating. What's the name of that album? How do you find that album? It is so. It is only I only found it on YouTube. I knew you had said something about the cure. Yeah, and I was like, oh, let's see if I can find something. See, just and, when I think, oh, look at me, I'm on the same level as Kevin Williams because I went back and did my research. No, you're like, oh no, you didn't. Yeah. You actually did not do your research because there's a whole other album out there that you don't know about. Yeah, so there's a a single that came out. The single is called "I'm a Cult Hero" and it features this song "I Dig You." Okay. And the other thing is, so they, they kind of by 1980, this band starts becoming more gothy. They kind of set the tone and the look mm-hmm. for what goth pop goth yes. in the 80s became. And then by 82, Robert Smith starts to figure out, oh, I can add a little more pop, a little more commercial sensibility in this, mm-hmm. and actually get some pretty big singles and they had some major success they had a compilation that came out in 86 called standing on the beach which sold four million copies i mean that's crazy it was a compilation of stuff of Mm -hmm. singles and things and that's what kind of pushed them over the edge and then they had albums like disintegration in 1989 they had wish in 1992 that really put them over commercial
eventually mm. that, that was the peak for solidified them. their status yeah i mean they were kind of this goth new wave band and then you know commercial major commercial success by the end of the 80s released 13 total albums two eps over 30 singles they have sold over 30 million albums worldwide and in 2019 they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame I think I was kind of in the same boat where I avoided listening to them. I just considered it to be a band that chicks with issues listen to in their room alone. Well, and that's my image of them, even though it's not fair. It was just the Molly Ringwalds of the world. Exactly. I knew them for from that. Uh, mid 80s that was my only lens yeah to them exactly it was that mid 80s pop goth but i didn't understand what goth was no nope. to me goth was like like horror punk i was very you know? <laughs> yeah i was very narrow-minded i thought you know oh you, you're not real rock and roll unless you yeah. listen to this specific right. type of rock and roll and yeah. so i was just very narrow-minded at yeah. the time I, I put up a lot of walls when i was younger and we all do i guess but it's, yeah. it's cool that we've knocked them down slowly one yeah, by we're one. knocking them just all down kicking them over and we're going to do the same thing with our third song Uh-oh. because it keeps getting better. I'm sliding a band in that never was really new wave. However, they had huge hits in the 80s and mm-hmm. 90s and they started off as a hardcore punk band. So I figured they they fit the mode. If Neil mold. Young made new wave songs, then come on. <laughs> You well, slide him into the category. He did have that album Trans where yeah, he went all electronic. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, the one you liked. Oh, love it. Just love it. <laughs> Celebrate it all the time. All right. So I'm going to play this hardcore punk band from New York, and you tell me who it is. You might get this one. I'm wondering here. That was very early George Thorogood. <laughs> Did you know that he was into punk before he got into that blues? No, but I wish I would have known that because he'd have been on this episode. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. I had no idea who it was, but it sounds like a, a young George Thorogood before he discovered the blues. So I gave you a clue. This is a, a hardcore not, band from This is New not York. a UK band. This right. is a US-based band. 1982, that came out. So it wasn't the Dolls. <laughs> no, but it... <laughs> 
I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I wouldn't put that past them. But in '82, this was these were young guys and a girl playing drums. Actually, Blondie? No, no, that was no. Me, no. I'm trying to I think wish, of a, a weird band from New York. That's not. I wish Blondie dogs. sounded this cool. Yeah, I never could get into Blondie because they always were called punks, and I'm like, this doesn't sound like punk to me. But. No, the, the tide is high because yeah, um, that's like the opposite of punk. Is, yeah, but just, they were because she was hot. She was welcomed into CBGBs. Maybe that's it. So no clue. So I'll just no. play this little snippet here. Okay. Then. No, I never would have put those two together. Ever, ever. I know later on they had, damn it, what's the name? Sabotage? No, 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 the funk, the the store. Um, is a reference to, was it a store? Oh, Paul's Boutique? Paul's Boutique, yeah. I knew it was some type of store, Paul's Boutique. Yeah, that so, was their second album. Yeah, so, but early on, I had no idea. Early on, I had no idea they were that hardcore. I know yeah. the rap thing was not their, they did not set out to be these rap stars. They kind of came out as almost a joke, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they were kids. Just goofing off, and they're they like, hey, let's do this. It sounds good. They did what a lot of kids were doing, you know, skateboarding and hanging out on the streets. Mm-hmm. In 1978, they formed a punk band, they being Michael Diamond, Adam Young, Adam Horowitz, John Barry was on guitar, and Kate Schellenbach played I drums. They had a girl in the band. Yeah, Kate, we've talked about That's her before. Right. I, I she would go it. on to play for Luscious Jackson, and That's then right. she That's would go right. on to be a huge producer in TV. She was the producer for The Ellen Show and all these other now it's coming major shows. You. Yeah, That's how they got started. The Beastie Boys were a punk hardcore I punk love that. band. Do they acknowledge that album, or do they pretend it didn't So happen? that came off the only EP that they put out called Polywalk Stew. They would later re kind of reissue that in the call it the mid-90s, I believe, Mm -hmm. it came back out. So yeah, they do. So in 1983, they made the switch to hip-hop, as we know. They toured in 1985 with Madonna. They opened for Madonna before their album came out, which I can't imagine. I I would love to talk to somebody who saw that. She was at her peak then. She must have seen them or she must have known... You know, they, they were on Def Jam. So yeah. Rick Rubin, you know, all those. Somebody got them in with Madonna. Yeah, so they opened for Madonna, but then their debut album comes out in 1986, Licensed to Ill. Mm-hmm. It's the first rap record to top the Billboard 200 chart. Sold 20 million records in the U.S. They had seven platinum-selling albums from 1986 to 2004. They are the biggest-selling rap group since Billboard began recording sales in 1991. In 2012, they became the third rap group to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was deserved. That I agree. Rap, I, rock, I think, rock. I think Beastie Boys are amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. Groundbreaking. And to think it all started with them being a hardcore punk band. Got my homework set up. <laughs> you know, the uh, my birthday episode, I got into it and it's taken me I think two days now to finish the episode because I keep stopping and I've got to Porcupine Tree. Oh yeah, because I'm listening to it and then stopping when you mention a band and going back and listening to it. And Porcupine Tree's got so many albums that I may not get back to the episode for another couple of days. You can dive in because their albums are long. Yes, yeah. but it's great. I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. So thank you again for that. Well, good. Well, let's move on to song number four. You're so far zero four zero zero. Okay. What's new? Here's another kind of interesting one. This next band has success under two different band names. They are known for being pioneers in two different genres. Mm. But before all of that, they were punks. And they sounded like this. Three, five, oh, one, two, five, go! I was there in the backstage When this light came around 
time trying to think of bands that have had success under two different names and i know there's probably 700 of them <laughs> but i blanked i couldn't think of any and so you're going to l- rattle off probably a few i'm sure um oh, I'm, I'm going to give you this one this one all right so uh you may have already alluded to it oh. <laughs> okay love exciting and new come aboard <laughs> <laughs> we'll welcome you. Oh, that's a different song. That's a different song, yes. The love boat. Joy Division. So what we heard was a song from 1978, and they were called Joy Division. And the reason that they formed that band was they attended a Sex Pistols concert. And after that concert, they were like, we're going to be in a band. Oh, yeah. And so they formed Joy Division. They were signed to RCA in 1978, and they recorded a whole album of punk rock songs, which was you know probably like 10 minutes long. <laughs> what day they were? They had the album, it was called Warsaw, but it was never released because Ian Curtis, the singer mm-hmm. for Joy Division, did not like the way it ended up with the mix and everything. Mm-hmm. The whole band was disappointed with it, and then the deal, somehow, they, I guess they sab- pissed RCA off. They yeah. sabotaged their own deal, and it fell through. And so they completely scrapped that album. It came out much later on you know, some posthumous releases mm. from Joy Division. Posthumous. Yes. So they continue Joy Division. They continued as kind of pioneers in the post-punk and goth movement, releasing only two albums, 79 and 80. Ian Curtis, who I just mentioned, he struggled with depression and epilepsy. He had mm. seizures on stage, lots of issues. He committed suicide the night before the band's first North American tour in 1980. He was only 23 years old. Their second album, Closer, was released two months after his suicide. And that had the biggest song, Love Will Tear Us Apart, on it. 
I mean, just heart wrenching for the other members in the band. Also, I mean, it's 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 sad for him. But what the guys in the band not only lost—I'm assuming they were friends. No, uh, you're, you're not always started friends, together as kids. Yeah, yeah. so saw the Sex Pistols and go, "We're going to be a friend, band, man." And then also being on the verge of breaking it big in the states, which is huge for yeah. you know that's what most bands from England their dream is to go and yeah, especially break back then. Big in the especially United back States. then. Yeah. So what did they go uh, on to do though? Yeah, that was yeah. so they became New Order, the remaining members of Joy Division, and they became uh, pioneers in dance pop, mm-hmm. new wave pop dance. And they had long, these long dance mixes. That song from 1983, Blue Monday, became a best-selling 12-inch single. So back mm. in the day, you would go to the clubs and they would have these extended singles that they would play in the clubs because so the they d- would last a long time. Work. He'd have to work as hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah they'd last a really long Go take a smoke time. break, come back, do a couple of lines in the bathroom. Yeah, it's that particular song is so popular that it's been resurrected in every single decade since its release as a hit. And so it's been covered too. It's been covered. Yeah. Blue, uh, Orgy, Orgy was the band that covered Orgy. it. In the 90s, that was in the nineties, two thousand. I, I no, that was nineties. End of nineties, late yeah. late nineties, late nineties maybe. But that's that's a great example. We've talked about this off air, uh, off air. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> when we weren't recording the transition from punk to new wave it doesn't seem logical if you play the punk and then play new order but in between and it's such a short time for that transition from just raw guitars bass and drums to that technical you know very tight sounding synth pop new of new wave but it was a direct correlation between the two yeah the attitude was kind of taken over even though they started making these pop songs you still had that kind of attitude Mm -hmm. and that's probably why we even us we like this pop music that was syrupy polished yeah. pop but it had that undertone of something else going on and with that something else is they started as punk yeah. rockers you know it's rick uh never gonna give you up rick rick rolled i know like that's it's stuck <laughs> in my head i can't think of his fucking last name uh, what does that mean ashley yeah. rick ashley anyway so it's not exactly rick ashley pop right it, the syrupy bubble gummy yeah it's a little it's the it's a little darker. edgy darker stuff yeah, that we darker. like i would say and the reason that Orgy covered them, I'm sure, was because this kind of gave way to industrial mm-hmm. rock as well, right? That was the next step on the t- on the line. Yeah. Ten albums from New Order, 83 to 2015. The band has done very well over mm-hmm. the years. Started off as Joy Division. Crazy. People still, to this day, reference Joy Division, even though they only had two albums. But they get cool points. You know, people get cool points by mentioning Joy Division for some reason. They're one of those bands, like um, kind of like the Ramones. You may see the T-shirts or you see the logo. Or the, you see the, the, well, the misfits of the, the T-shirt misfits, world. Yeah, yes. there's all these punk groups that give you cred, even if you don't really have any. Yeah. And Joy Division's one of those as well. All right, so let's move on. I think... I think this is the one you're going to Okay, get. positive vibes. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Everybody sure. out there listening to this, cross your fingers, yeah. I can do it. Another American group. Okay. okay. Not as much of a stretch because what I'm about to give you from 1979 was not too far off from the, the final product. mega pop hits that they would have just a few years later in the okay. 80s. So not too far removed from their punk beginnings. What's the first letter of the name of the band? The. <laughs> Okay, good enough. Yeah. 
Sorry, go back, play the beginning of that and keep the mic on. All right. I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. (laughs) (laughs) So we know they totally ripped that off. So what year was that? 1979. Obviously, that was a live song. Yeah. Because they didn't actually uh, release anything until they got their major label deal. Oh, God. God, God, God. So you gave me the hint, which splits it between American band, two bands, okay, two girl bands, okay, and I've got a fifty-fifty chance in my mind. All right, go for it. I know, not in reality. Either the Runaways, the Runaways, or the Go Go's. Yeah. Because it sounded like uh, Runaways at first, but I was like, wait a minute, they never really had major hits. Right. And looking back, they got popular more than they were they at the time. Yeah, popular as solo artists. But Go-Go's, yeah. oh my God, I had an older yeah. sister, and holy crap, that's all I heard around the house, <laughs> all over the place, that's all I heard. Yeah, so they got they were part of the L.A. punk scene. Yes. I mean, heavy, heavy into the L.A. punk scene. Mm-hmm. They gave way to the, the hardcore stuff, but they were part of that scene. 1979, they get picked up, and by 1981, they released their debut album, Beauty and the Beat. Mm-hmm. That album topped the Billboard chart. It's still unequaled. It was a first for an all-female band writing their own material and playing their own instruments. It was one of the cornerstone albums in the U.S. New Wave movement, and it broke a lot of barriers for a lot of other artists Mm. because they were the first female group, again, who wrote their own songs, played their instruments, did everything. Mm -hmm. Hadn't happened before. And it's, it's Which is crazy. hard to think about the transition from that song all the way to Belinda Carlisle's solo stuff. Just oh, yeah. drippy ballads. Yeah. It, she was hot. Yeah. So as far as Hot 100 hits, Our Lips Are Sealed was number 20. Mm-hmm. We Got the Beat, which is the one that most of us heard yeah. first. That, was, that went all the way to number two. The album itself was in the number one spot on Billboard for six weeks. It was which huge. Which is huge. huge. So I, I was not into music at the time. I was 12 years old. So once again, everything I heard was because of coming out of my sister's bedroom or the big console stereo <laughs> in the main room. Yeah. My sister had the single. She had the 45 for We Got the the beat mm-hmm. so i heard that over and over, over and over and she didn't over. have the album i own the album now it's a great album beauty and the beat you know it came out in 1981 had it come out one year later they would not have had that success because there was a certain solo artist who dominated in 1982 oh, mr jackson mr jackson so they got lucky with their timing on that one what other band did we talk about was it like toto or something like There's that a bunch of them they actually. had a bunch of groups that never could get number, to number two one. everybody yeah. oh number two through that next two or three years you see all these bands at number two and that's it yeah they were even nominated for a grammy for their first album here's you know this young group you got to remember yeah. how young these girls were vacation came out in 1982 mm-hmm. that's another album it was number eight on billboard talk show came out in 84 uh, it had a couple hits as well. Mm-hmm. I stopped hearing them. They still had hits, but I kind of stopped hearing them after vacation. But they continued to have more albums. But they only had, um, I think they only had four or five albums because they split in 1985. Yeah, and that's when Belinda went solo. She went solo. And had another hit or two. I can't yeah. remember. They've reunited several times from the 90s on. Right. You know, lots of different tours. And they even had another album. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2021. 
I love the band. Yeah. Again, go if you go back now and you listen to Beauty and the Beat, it is almost a perfect album. Okay. It, it was done. So Add that seriously, to the list. go back and listen to it. It is really good. There would be no Green Day or Blink-182 without or, or that album. <laughs> <laughs> or Cake. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Ripping off all their hits. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're done with the American component of the show. Okay. This is a new wave show, right? Now we're so heading it's be, to Brazil. It's... It, Yes, we're going to Germany. No, no, no. no. This is, it's all British from here on out. So back to the Brits. I'm going to play a band that is not the band that got successful. So this is a band that led to a very successful solo career for the front man of this band. Okay. Okay. So bear that in mind. Take a listen. Snarling as soon as you hit I think play. you know this one. Yeah. <laughs> Who is it? Who could it be? Is it's what our generation was named after. Mm. Our namesake is that Mr. Was... William Idol. <laughs> That's his real name. Adol. Yeah. 
<laughs> they changed mm. to idol. This, this song. That is up in my top five sexiest songs ever Oh, made. man, that's a good one. Purple Rain's up there, but that song is such a great ballad. And then Steve Stevens. Yes, Steve Stevens. See, I just have to say his name carefully because I'm like, no, it's the same name twice. Just say Steve <laughs> Stevens. It's okay. Steve Stevens kicks in with just a rip and lead. And then it goes back to just, hey, man. Oh, yeah, it's a great song. Oh, love that song. So, yes, that's so, Mr. That's a bit of trivia yeah, I did Idol. know. Yes. yes. So, Mr. William Broad. Broad. Yes. And. 1976 he was 21 he was Billy Broad he was playing guitar he was a university dropout fitting he changed his name and dropped the guitar to be a punk rock singer so he became Billy Idol and he got together with these guys and they were in this band Generation X and they were a proper first wave Mm -hmm. British punk band a lot of pop sensibility to their music though and they had uh, six singles that made the UK singles chart two albums that reached the UK albums chart They didn't do anything here in the States, Generation X, but they were pretty big in the UK. So what happened? How did he become Billy Idol that we know? So after some lineup and stylistic changes with the group, they got a new American manager in 1980. And this man's name was Bill Acoin. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that does that sound familiar? So in the seventies, he was the manager for this group. Oh. Oh. What was their name? What was their name? Oh yes. Sneaky. There's your KISS connection with a K. Yes, Bill Coin was the reason that KISS got their deal with Casablanca. He was the man behind the band that was KISS. I thought that was Eddie Van Halen. He went to see them at a club and signed... Oh, was that the right around? No, no, no. Yeah, Bill Coin started managing Generation X... He was more interested in the singer and the commercial possibilities of what the singer could do in the U.S. market. So there was already issues within Generation X and and with Billy being Billy. Mm -hmm. And so he started pumping them full of all kinds of stuff. Bill told Billy, hey, you need to come to New York where I live. Dump these guys. uh, They're holding you back, man. I'm going to put you with this guy, Steve Stevens. That was a good call. Yeah, so I think that was a really good call. And, of course, the direction of the music changed a little bit. Although, Billy took some of those songs, Mm -hmm. you know, Dancing With Myself. That was a Generation X song. He took some of those songs and he kind of remade them into more of a new wave commercial pop rock thing. It was was his own thing. I think it was was a brilliant move because in 1982, he releases Billy Idol. It's a commercial success. Dancing With Myself, White Wedding became a staple of MTV, which has just started. It went platinum in Canada. Canada, that Billy Idol album, and only gold in the U.S., which is weird. But the second album, Rebel Yell, came mm-hmm. out in 1983. Major commercial success. Featured Rebel Yell, Eyes Without a Face, double platinum in the U.S., five times platinum in Canada. Canada loves Billy Idol, apparently. They love their Billies up there, yeah. Mm, they okay. like the Billies. Other hits throughout the decade, Moni Moni. Remember that one? That was a big hit. I hate that song. <laughs> Am I the only it was one? A big, I, I don't care for it either. Never like God, it. God, I hate that song. Cradle of Love. That's all right. He did a cool cover of L.A. Woman that was a hit. Oh, he, yeah. He had, a, he had a few more platinum albums throughout the 80s, and then mm-hmm. last one was in 1990 with Charm Life, which gave us Cradle of Love. That was a big hit, but that was kind of it as far as his major success. As of this recording, last week, Billy just received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Well, that means you're in a... Doesn't mean you're in a movie to get a star? Not just... No. A, and you could be any kind no, of star. Just, a celebrity, a Hollywood okay, celebrity I thought, gets a star. 
star. I don't know much about it. I thought you had to be a movie star, but you can just be no. a rock star. No. He still looks damn good. He looks the same. It, they, what is he, 98 years old? He's pretty damn old, man. <laughs> but he can, he can strut around without a shirt and get away with it. He still had the, the hair all spiked yeah. up. He looked exactly the same, except the face definitely yeah, looks a little He's got some wrinkles. But that, wrinkles. He, yeah. But he kind of pulls it off and looks distinguished. Yeah, he's got that scowl and the grimace looking. Yes. Mm. Still, still the lips. Yeah, he got the lip. The Elvis he had a lips. lip implant. <laughs> You're gonna know he's really old when he can't get he can't control his lips it's anymore. Story, start, they they go in weird directions. Mouth droop. It's, it's happened to Steven Tyler. It's, I'm sorry. Oh, Bless yeah. his heart. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Okay, I have one more for you. This has been fun, by the way. I like this episode. We're hearing some cool. We're not talking about the songs that much, but these are some cool. I think these are some I cool. I love punk this rock connection, songs. though. You've got to go back to where it started, though, because we talked about it. I didn't know what that connection was. I knew there was a connection, but now it's becoming clearer, and this is solidifying why I like this so much. Right. So the last one I'm going to play is not really, it doesn't sound very punk. It's actually a cover of a Sex Pistols song because the Sex Pistols, this is going to sound weird, but they're the main reason that this pop group exists. So this cover was featured on a rather obscure British take on an 80s John Hughes type film, Mm. a film called Party Party. So if you're in the UK, maybe you've seen Party Party. I've never seen it. I want to, Mm -hmm. now that I've read more about it. John Hughes, we're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Was it Pretty pretty in Pink? Think of 16 Candles. candles. All of the 80s movies that... Kind of mid-80s was his heyday for that. Yeah. Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Oh yeah, all of those. All those. Awesome movies. Were you... Coming of age, kind of... It was a high school... High school theme. Aged. Evolved around high school age people and kind of coming of age in the 80s. This song was featured on a similar type of movie that was a British movie called Party Party. I'm going to play this song. It was released in 83. It sounds like an 83 new wave take Mm -hmm. on a Sex Pistols song. Okay. i 
any idea who that could be. So you said English, so it's not the Go Go's. English, it's not the Go Go's. Oh, that would have been a perfect song for them. Um, going out on a limb here. Bow Wow Wow. Hmm. Were they English? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure where they're from. It was, but that's my, not who this is. My, my second, I don't know if this band's English either or not, but Susie and the Banshees? Susie was English. So I don't know. But it could have been either one, but it's probably not. It's not either of those. Okay. It is. Banana Rama? Banana Rama. I didn't know they were English. Damn it. I, I shot myself in the foot. I thought of them, but I was like, well, they're not English. <laughs> I was going to give it to you twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Banana Rama. So, what a lot of people don't know is I they, they formed. Yeah, they formed in 1980 in London, where two of the ladies were studying journalism at the London College of Fashion, and the other was working at the BBC. And they befriended Paul Cook, who was the drummer of the Sex Pistols, because they were huge into the punk scene. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a place to stay. So he gave the girls a room basically in the studio where the Sex Pistols would rehearse. And so they struck up a friendship. And like I said, they were followers of the London punk scene. Mm -hmm. And so in the late 70s, early 80s, they were performing impromptu sets with bands like The Professionals, Iggy Pop, The Nipple Erectors, <laughs> and The Jam. The what? <laughs> We're gonna, to, we're gonna have to dig into the you, nipple erectors. You can't erectors. just throw that out there and expect me not to giggle. I am 13 years old. If you haven't noticed that, in 1981, Banana Rama recorded their first demo, and immediately after hearing it, they were signed to Decca. And I always get them mixed up with the Bangles. Yeah, I used to as well because they came out it, to us. To they us. came out around the same time in the U.S. Now yeah. here's here's the difference with Banana Rama because I they were around earlier. I didn't know this. They hold the Guinness World Record for a achieving the world's highest number of chart entries by an all-female group. So between 82 and 2009, they've had 30 singles reach the top 50 of the UK okay. charts. So in the 30? UK, they're huge. They were never that big here. No, they had one hit. How many hits they had? Well, so they had 11 singles reach the US Billboard Hot 100 from 83 to 88. I don't do which not I only, remember any of those. The ones I remember. Venus? Yeah, the ones I remember. Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer. I heard a rumor. Okay, I forgot about that. And one. the only number one song they had in '86 was Venus in the U.S. Yeah, so but those are the ones three. I remember. Yeah, I know they had 11 singles in the U.S. They must have gone straight to adult contemporary radio stations <laughs> that were getting played in the back of retail stores. You know, that over to the speaker that were safe. <laughs> That's what I remember that because I worked for a summer in a retail tourist store on the beach, and we heard like B98.5, hey, <laughs> all the soft rock that's safe to listen to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was like heart, like all the right. ballads. The 80s Yeah, ballads. all the 80 ballads. Yeah. Anyway, wow, that good for them. I had no idea. I was, yeah. There's times when I think about bands that I think of as one-hit wonder. I'm like, well, bless their hearts. I wonder what they're doing now. I hope they're getting by. Maybe they saved some of their money. And then you hear yeah. that, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're doing okay. We thought they had gone back to performing with the nipple erectors, but <laughs> yeah. no. They, yeah. They're doing fine. They hold a Guinness World Record for the highest number of chart entries by all-female group. <laughs> It's crazy. I had no idea. All I know were the three or four songs I mentioned. Are we going to get it in the Guinness Book World Record for something? We need to shoot for something. We should. I don't know what it is. No, I'm trying to think of something. <laughs> we'll come up with something. I know a guy. He's a, a friend of a friend 
supposed to be a friend, but he's a friend of a friend, found out a few weeks ago he's got the Guinness Book of, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the highest altitude dance party. And high, how high is that? Some, you know, one of those tall mountains that people climb, not Everest, but another one that you would recognize and I can't remember the name of. Yeah, apparently they hiked up it and somehow got a radio or some type of music device and had a dance party and it was listed as the highest altitude dance party ever. Somewhere right now, there was a Sherpa giving the middle oh, yeah. finger to this guy. He was going carrying like, the boombox. Dude, I've done this on Everest. Said, That's like, Friday we're, night. We're up partying right yeah, now. Yeah, what do you think the tour started when they're yeah. in the camp? We go up there. Dumbasses. They don't need oxygen masks and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, he's, I don't know. But so that's the closest to fame that I've ever gotten is, is a friend of a friend. Mm. I didn't even know there was a Guinness book anymore. I thought that was a, that seems like a total 70s, 80s thing. It's a Guinness online of world records. Oh, okay. Guinness it's all online. digital now. Mm. But yeah, that's I remember sitting reading that and flipping My through. sister got one every year, it seems like, for Christmas or something. Yeah, I would always dream you get of the having updated one of version. Those. We'll come up with like the most shrimp cocktail eaten in 20 <laughs> minutes or something like that. That's what I got for you this week. That was a good one. I thought it was fun. I think there's plenty more to revisit too. I'm sure you're just scratching the surface. But I love hearing the transition that bands evolved. We evolved. I mean, good God. You look at some of the early stuff. It was yep. very acoustic pop. And then we ended on a pretty strong note. So I, <laughs> exactly. I like hearing that transition. We could do this for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we won't. But we could. We won't. <laughs> We're so not until enough. next time. Later, yeah. people.